90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Doing pretty well. Getting pretty excited about going from, you know, snowstorms to tornadoes this weekend. And then back to snow, baby. Oh, shut your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's pretty funny. So my um, freshly vaccinated mother-in-law is going to come down and see us next week. And we haven't seen her in, you know, a year and a half or something like that. And I'm sure she's looking forward to coming to Oklahoma to the 70-degree weather from Iowa. And now she's going to (laughs) get below averaged and totally snowed on again. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, listeners out in Colorado, uh, probably right before this comes, or right after this comes out, rather, are going to be experiencing uh, two to three feet of snow in places. unbelievable. Makes me wish I was... Still out there skiing, but oh well, I'll just sit here and wait for the shortwave to, you know, ruin my roof again. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah, they keep moving the massive amounts of rain slightly north, though, so we'll see how that all goes down. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway. Um, Yeah, so... I've been poking around the the web some in our Slack room and also working on our new website. Yes, it's very, um, uh, it's real sleek and looks super fancy. Did you pay somebody to do this? So we moved (laughs) over to fireside.fm from Libsyn as our podcast host, as you've heard over the last couple weeks, me complaining. (laughs) Yes. And I got to say, this is a pretty seamless process uh, once everything got got synced up. And there was a brief period of time where our web uh, address did not point to any server. So you got 404'd. And it made me realize how many people go to our website. <laughs> and like <laughs> I said... <laughs> how many emails I got very quickly after I took it down for the transition. And I thought it was just me because I obviously, every time I have an idea, I have to search. I'm like, surely we've talked about this before. <laughs> And I'm like, I wonder if John just sees my <laughs> my pings like twice a week. <laughs> no. So thanks to everybody who regularly visits. We appreciate you and appreciate mm-hmm. you listening. Uh, and I hope that the new website is more functional and useful for you. And it's certainly more up to date. Yeah. It looks super hipster. Yes, it does. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. And... In the Slack chat room, this was fantastic. Uh, So Jennifer Wagner Mm -hmm. says that uh, she's been catching up on the podcast and really likes it and was taking Physics 202 and says, I may or may not have got full credit on my answer to this question, but I felt satisfied. (laughs) Question five, experimental metacognition, four points. In the following free response and or file upload sections, please provide answers to the following. Is it okay that your value of G is not 9.8? Is it? Which I thought was a weirdly phrased question. Yes. <laughs> um, what are the minimum and maximum values of G found on Earth? What about your experimental procedures could be improved if you were to do it again? If you had $1,000 to design an experiment to measure G using a pendulum and the fate of the world depended on it, <laughs> what would you do to create as precise a measurement as you could? 
I like right. this. I like this. So, Reworded a little bit better, but you know. <laughs> all right. So the answer, it was 9.8, but it would have been okay if it had not because the minimum gravity on Earth is 9.78 meters per second per second, found at the equator, and maximum of 9.83 meters per second per second at the poles. Uh, I found this information here with a link. If I could do my experiment again, I would hopefully be working in an actual lab to not have to come up <laughs> with a setup on the fly. <laughs> um, if I had $1,000 to design an experiment, I would pay an actual engineer to create precise equipment that would run the experiments. I've attached information on the company I would use to engineer my equipment. His website and contact information are at the following link, lehmangeophysical.com. <laughs> Oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> so, Jennifer, I hope you got full points. Uh, man, I <laughs> thank would have you eviscerated very much for the that. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was really good. I would have given no credit, but then also taken down your information for my own personal needs. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I thought it was pretty great, and it's actually not a bad lead-in to what I want to talk about this week. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about this. I am too, because uh, this is hijacking conversation that I just had <laughs> with a uh, multiple-time former guest of the show, Matt Hall of Agile Scientific. And we were talking about field geophysics, and he had been uh, hoping to have a geophysics data field camp boot camp event for several years now, and for one reason or another, it's been postponed, and then last year, when it was really going to happen in Spain, uh, COVID. hmm Yep. So we got on the discussion of what are field geophysics things that you could do at home? Mm-hmm. And just like in Jennifer Wagner's answer, she said, well, you know, if I didn't have to come up with this, you know, rinky-dink setup in my house to measure G... <laughs> Um, what could we do? What tools would we put in a box to let people do field geophysics to hack on field geophysics? To like, say you wanted to have a hackathon to collect as much field geophysical data as you could. Okay. What goes in the box? And I thought this was particularly interesting because OU used to have a geophysics field camp. Mm-hmm. Yes. And hasn't for a while now. Well... We we did two years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It it comes and goes with the um, number of students, but we've always had it roughly every other year since okay. 2011. So it depends on how many undergrads need it um, to graduate. And unfortunately, uh, the professor that was doing it left us, and so that's very sad. And hopefully someone else is going to pick it up because it's a pretty unique program. I think, in the country, because there's not a lot of field geophysics camps. No, there's not. Mm -hmm. You should spend your $1,000 to hire a qualified (laughs) engineer. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, If you know any engineers, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Um, (laughs) I know what your degrees are in. (laughs) But this is But this is really interesting, um, because as I talked at great length, um, about the conversations that we had doing field geology online, there was a subset of us that were geophysicists that went about trying to do this exact thing, like trying to come up with exercises 
that they could have their geophysics students be doing at their house instead of out on a traditional, you know, seismic reflection survey or something like that. Yeah, and if I'm going to ship a little box of stuff to someone's house and say, here's how you're going to learn field geophysics this summer, (laughs) it's not going to have a kilometer-long seismic line and a thumper. (laughs) No, no, it sure isn't. But everything's, you know, we don't have cables anymore, so it's pretty great. But we're not going to ship them geophones either. (laughs) Well, you're not going to ship them a lot of geophones anyway. (laughs) I knew it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm very interested. This seems, this is like right up your alley, right? Like geophysics tinkering for, for the, you know, everyday man. So I am interested to see what you all think would go in the box. Because obviously I believe geophysics is only batteries, so... Well, there would be lots of batteries. No. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course there would be. <laughs> un- unfortunately, so Matt and I sort of ran out of time because I had to run to another meeting. And what we had agreed on was, well, you have a think on it. I'm going to have a think on it. I'm going to come up with a list ah, okay. of some things. And so this is me doing my homework with uh-huh. you and yeah. about 600 other people. <laughs> so see, I got called out in class today. Because one of my students, um, I was talking about Snowball Earth, which we've definitely talked about on here, and he was saying how it seems like that lecture went along perfectly with the podcast we did about it. (laughs) And I said, "Mm, that's often how I make my lectures and vice versa. (laughs) So, you know, he got some extra points today, I guess, (laughs) for paying close attention. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... What are your sort of, what are you starting with? Are we starting with geophysics undergrads, geophysics grad students, the common man interested in geophysics? Who is this aimed at? Yup. This could be an undergrad. This could be a grad student. This could be somebody that's interested. The three categories you said. It could also be uh, somebody that's a software person. That's okay. interested in getting data or doing machine learning. It could be somebody that's uh, an engineer or electrical engineer that has a lot of the electrical and programming knowledge, but wants to apply that to a field situation. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So I think the way I would want to approach this is let's look at physical properties first and then talk about what we could do inexpensively. And we don't have to be perfect. Just like Jennifer's gravity value was not perfect, mm-hmm. we don't need to be perfect. We need to do it on a budget. Right. And be good enough. Right. Um, which is a lesson I've been trying to learn at, <laughs> at work recently. Of like, You know, it doesn't have to actually be accurate to the 16th decimal place here. <laughs> I was going to say, you need to back off your significant digits. I already knew it. <laughs> um, let's just say I saved a ton of space on a server by only storing a number to three significant digits that pained me. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Two so, of those significant, significant digits won't even get used, but that's okay. <laughs> fine. Um, all right. So physical properties. Mm-hmm. The first one, of course, is velocity that I can think of. Okay. Um, density related. 
Resistivity. Uh, resistivity, yeah. Or conductivity. Um, porosity. Permeability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, gamma. Okay. Color. Hmm. Which is one I hadn't thought of until Matt mentioned it. Hmm. That's interesting. I'll be interested um, in this one. Hardness. That's a physical property. Mm-hmm. These are, those are interesting, like, intro-level things that I wouldn't think about. You know? Right. Like, and I'm not even thinking just geophysics methods, because for now we're not right. talking about methods. We're talking about properties. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's not even... Like, I can just do that with my eyeballs, so why would I... Why would I do it any other way? But no? Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get see. into... Let's see. Um... My next susceptibility. Oh, why didn't I say that one? Of course. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm um, stuck on resistivity because that's the one I've already jumped. I'm jumping past your first question into the homemade resistivity rigs. But okay. uh, dielectric mm-hmm. coefficient for GPR. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, speed of sound. Okay, that's velocity. I'm trying to think of other things that we've done in the field. That'd be, that'd be nice to have a quantitative measure of something. Besides mag susceptibility, hmm. What else would you want? Color. I'm stuck on color too. I don't understand how we're gonna do that. But um, I'm gonna write down strike and dip, even though that's pretty much a solved problem. And I'm not sure it's a physical property, but it sort of is. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Um, grain size. We talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, oh, no. Well, you said hardness. There's a lot that could go along with that. Mineralogical hardness, but also, like, in duration of the rock in general. Right. Um, what about, like, um, stream turbidity? Because streams are important. Mm-hmm. So stream turbidity or water velocity. Right, yeah. Um, temperature, like temperature gradients. Mm-hmm. Geothermal gradients. Okay, that's a pretty long list. Yeah. So let's go with that. Okay. Okay, I know you want to talk about resistivity, so I'll leave that one for you. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a geophysicist. <laughs> <laughs> the first one that comes to mind is I would send somebody a geophone. Okay. And something to record it with, like an Arduino. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of these are going to record, or a lot of these are going to involve, you need something to record data with. Right, yeah. So let's just assume that we throw an Arduino and an SD card shield and some other stuff in the box, and you have a way to write data to an SD card. That's a whole, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Like, let's just throw that in there because that's going to be, you know, let's say 50 bucks of stuff. Mm -hmm. And lessons one through 12. (laughs) And lessons one through 12. No, we had some interesting ideas on that. Okay. Okay. Well, let's assume you have a magic box that you can plug these magic geophone uh, elements and other stuff in the box into. And it just works somehow. This isn't a coding class. Right. unless, Unless you want it to be, unless you're a coding person. Right. All right. 
Now, I think everybody can probably find a hammer. Yes, I have several. <laughs> yes. So, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that you do a seismic refraction survey. Okay. So, you pick a point on the ground, mm-hmm. and you put your geophone, say, a foot to one side, and you hit the ground a foot to the other side. And then you move the geophone to three feet, and you move your hammer to three feet, and you hit. And you're getting all these common midpoint gathers. Right. Uh, and you can get a vertical profile of velocity. Now, That's with cool. one geophone and a hammer, you're not going to be able to get more than you know, yeah. uh, feet, many feet, um, single-digit many feet. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that's okay, because the data processing is going to work the same. Right. Right. So that's mine for, well, and you could even, well, you need a way to do the timing. So you need to have a attachment for the hammer, or I guess you need two geophones. Ooh. I mean, how much would an attachment for the hammer be, though? That shouldn't be that big addition yeah that could just be a little vibrating switch yeah yeah okay so so i think we could do a refraction survey for a reasonable cost honestly the geophone is going to be the biggest expense geophones are 30 bucks 40 bucks each Mm -hmm. i was going to ask you what the what a cheap geophone that could resolve this would be i mean maybe you could do it with an accelerometer that's five okay maybe I, i would have to test it or somebody that does this as a course would have to test it. Yeah, how about that? And compare it to a geophone. Yeah. That'd be an excellent course project. You're welcome, undergrads listening to this. <laughs> if you're interested, email me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay, yep. Summer's coming up. I have projects. Exactly. All right. <laughs> I was just saying, we're not running geophysics field camps, so... <laughs> everybody's going to need their own uh, individual projects so this seems this seems good right all right um all right your turn so you'd said that you're thinking about homemade resistivity rigs well i mean this is really easy though right all you do is you just get some electrodes and plug them in and flow some current through it at different depths and you can get resistivity of the soil right yeah so I don't know what kind of processing you would need to record that, but it seems pretty easy. Were you no, you were you were involved when we did the resistivity of the uh, International Order of Odd Fellows grave, weren't you? I was not. That was right before I came back, but I was oh, around okay. for everyone working on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I built a homemade resistivity rig. I did go out with you and use that though. Oh, yeah, you did in Colorado. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to say it's a fun experience. <laughs> Lots of batteries. <laughs> Always. <laughs> and it didn't work as I had hoped necessarily, but it did give us some pretty solid data. Mm-hmm. Um, you needed an AC current source. Okay. And you needed... One or two multimeters, because you needed to measure voltage and current. And it's better to do it at the same time. So, you could do it. I'm not sure how... 
inexpensively we could do it, but it would be ideal if we had something in our magic box that did uh, AC current and voltage measurement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're, and you could use like tent stakes for the electrodes or something. But on my tent stakes, I've changed to plastic tent stakes because I always hurt myself on them, so those wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, I mean, you could even do this at a real micro level. This isn't field geophysics then, though. Like you could fill a Rubbermaid tub with different kinds of soils and use your little tent stake array and get a profile of that. Oh, you know, that might be... That might even be better, right? Because if you're just walking around your yard. You don't know what's there. Like, you don't know if you're right. <laughs> yes, correct. <laughs> and you're going to have to call 811 before you mm-hmm. dig. That's right. Uh, if you go more than about <laughs> six or seven inches. I quite love that idea of the different soil. I, I feel like that's, a, that's something you could do in a high school class. Maybe you do it in the box that you ship everything in. Eh? <laughs> it doubles as a <laughs> well you know that's how our um that groundwater pollution contaminant kit thing uh-huh. that we developed and are uh-huh. selling now uh it's part of and we were trying to come up with like we're going to call them the five gallon bucket experiments where they ship to you in a five gallon bucket and the bucket's part of the experiment and the uh, storage container uh that's awesome yeah. and it is for that because it's the water reservoir for your aquifer right I love it. Here you go. It's the five-gallon bucket resistivity experiment. Exactly. Hmm. That's super good. Yeah. So that one seems fairly straightforward. I, I like the idea of gathering different things because you could even, you know, over your summer travels, get it from everywhere and then do a comparison study. This is an excellent um, science fair experiment, I think. It is. Mm-hmm. Again, if you want to develop this seems and good. you're looking for a summer project. <laughs> <laughs> I'll that you're crowdsourcing all this. This is a good idea. <laughs> um, okay, go ahead next. Okay, um, let's see. Some of these, I don't really know if they count. Like porosity, I got to ship you a beaker and a scale. Right. Like, and like, what do you want for color? Are you going to do some kind of photovoltaic thing? Um. Not necessarily. I want, and Matt is the one that came up with this originally. And he said, like, well, to calibrate, you know, drone photography of outcrops to get the color right. Okay. Because the color that it looks like on the photos influenced by the atmosphere and the sun Everything. angle and all that. Yep. Mm-hmm. They make color sensors. I have one that I use to calibrate my screens on my computers. Okay. It's this little widget that you hang over the screen, and you run a program, and it flashes different colors on the screen, and it says, this is what the color should have looked like, and this is what the sensor sensed, and I'm going to adjust your screen. Okay. So, so that when I make graphics on my computer screen, it's how they're actually supposed to look color-wise. Gotcha. So we're thinking one of those for rocks. Like, imagine a little box, you know, two-inch cube or something, that you go up and you just hold on the outcrop and you press a button and it gives you the uh, the RGB value of that rock's color. <laughs> so there's a book for field geologists that is the color book. Right. So, I mean, I'm guessing you could calibrate it to those colors. Right. Well, we could give you the RGB value and then the, the wishy-washy field geologist color too. 
Look, I don't know what you think wishy-washy is about gray-blue and grayish-blue-gray. <laughs> Both colors. <laughs> I just remember when somebody said, this rock is mustard-colored, and I just looked at them <laughs> and stared for an uncomfortably long time. <laughs> and then just started reciting, um, you know, brown, horseradish, <laughs> right, yellow. <laughs> Dijon or yellow? <laughs> um, yeah, that. I mean, that would be interesting because there is that list, and it's funny because my friend that you know did field geology as her job, Stacy Evans, who we've had on the show, it, you know, we laughed about this, but how great would it be to have a quantitative measure of that? <laughs> okay, so here's my proposed experiment for this one. You know how you can order those little rock kits that have, like, different samples of different minerals and rocks mm-hmm. in them? Yep, yep. Okay, we're going to make one of those. It's going to have, let's say, 24. No, let's get something that's a nice power of two. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to put 36 samples in here. Mm-hmm. And, well, 24th power. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> I was just going to let you keep going. We're going to put some samples in here, and I'm going to send it to, let's say, 30 field geologists <gasps> and say, classify the color of each of these. Oh. Use whatever lighting you want. Go outside. Go inside. Put it under a microscope. Don't care. Classify the color of each of these. And then I'm going to take our little widget that we make and classify the color of each of them and compare. I want to do this anyway. <laughs> I want to do it with geologists. I want to do it with non-geologists. This is great. You can do it with the official field naming colors, and then you can give somebody a box of Crayola and say, now uh-huh. do it with these names. Yeah, right. And so a lot of people are colorblind, and I had a couple of colorblind um, geology professors. And so they're very against using color as an indicator and yet as humans i feel like that's just something that we automatically do but so if you can is... give somebody three eight-bit numbers that describe right the, it, the color. exactly exactly like quantifying it i think that's kind of a big deal that's very interesting i like yeah, so i didn't idea. think about it either like matt matt said color and then you know my reaction was like well yes there's a technical way to do that yes why and then we explain like okay interesting yeah, yeah, this is why. That's exactly right. Hmm, I love it. Okay, I didn't think I was going to like that, but that one is my favorite so far. All right, so what next? So how, I don't, how would you do magnetic susceptibility on the cheap? Because I don't know if you could do susceptibility. You couldn't. I don't think you could. I think what you could do, and... I am ready to be proven incorrect, <laughs> is, the problem is, it's got to be at the right field site. But, you know, we'll take a proton precession magnetometer out and go over some kind of igneous dike, and you see a pretty classic shape. Mm-hmm. If it's a strong enough signal, you should be able to do that with these MEMS magnetometers. They're good enough now. Okay. And they're very inexpensive. Like, that could be on your little geomagic board. 
for a few dollars. But the problem is, how do you help somebody find the right field site to do it that's near them? Well, you tell them to go out and walk over a cylindrical culvert in their driveway. <laughs> that you should be able to detect for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're truly just teaching field method, because, I mean, that happens a lot at our geophysics field camp, right? Like, nothing's perfect when you go out there and you, you're trying to you know, look at this fault and tell the direction of it and everything, but is it really going to happen? I don't know. Hasn't yet. (laughs) I do remember we were trying to do something with the the ground penetrating radar and weren't getting any sensical data out of it. And finally, okay, let's go to a culvert. And like, we know the GPR should detect a culvert. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. And we're like, okay, well, something's clearly broken. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, I mean, really, you could do that. Okay. And there you go. I like that. Yeah. So, we could have a uh, simple magnetometer mm-hmm. on our Geomagic board. I kind of like that name. Somebody's got to come up with a better one, though, other than Geomagic. I don't know. It's pretty good. But it's got to be spelled like... <laughs> M-A-J-I-K or something, and be some tortured acronym. <laughs> like Jupiter Notebooks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we could definitely figure out something with J-K involved in it, yeah. Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> how, I mean, that's pretty cheap, right? Yeah. So there's that. You could do that. What else Perm's interesting. I'm intrigued uh, by it, but from a, I don't know how you would do this other than telling somebody like, okay, you're going to make a trip to Lowe's. Right. And you're going to go to the thinking... plumbing section. <laughs> no, I was just thinking about getting like um, smoothie straws. Hmm. Like if you just got some smoothie straws and like took some plugs with them. Everybody's so, got metal straws now. I have I a huge metal smoothie straw that I could totally core some sediment with. <laughs> and then just like pour some water on it and time it. <laughs> so, yeah. So that would be a falling head permeameter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go do it tomorrow. <laughs> what, I was, what I was thinking was you go to, to Lowe's and buy you some PVC pipe fittings and a valve. And you fill this with water and you go jab it in the ground again after calling before you dig. (laughs) And uh, you open the valve and you time the same thing. You time the water, which is a, you can buy these instruments commercially. Yeah. Uh, We talked about them in our permeability show some. Mm -hmm. But I don't think you could, I mean, you can't expect somebody, you can't say, well, you need to go out and get a one inch core of a sandstone near you. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, just get your diamond chainsaw. It, this, <laughs> I mean, which I have at home, but probably most people don't. <laughs> uh, I think this metal straw thing is the way to go here. Like, where are you going to, you can't make this kit prohibitively expensive, and I'd rather spend money on a geophone and a magnetometer. I have that on tape. I can't believe it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joke's on you. I didn't hit record. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I think you could do, like, uh, boba tea straws. 
Or these and metal ones. Like I think I could I think I could core some sediment with my metal straw. I'm gonna go try it. No kidding. Okay. Or yeah. really you could, you know, get some metal pipe and not pipe, well, but how metal are you gonna know? And, you need to see the water level falling. Uh you could do Hmm. Okay, so like how sediment cores, some of them have like an open slit down them, right? So you can core it, and then maybe you could put like a piece of plastic there, and you can, so you oh, like, can see inside it now. Hmm. Like put a piece yeah. of self, a packing tape or something. Yeah, something like that. Okay. Maybe a, it might even be cheaper than metal straws to just buy a piece of one inch PVC that we slot, and. <laughs> Yeah, Put packing okay. tape on. Fine. <laughs> Look, I don't drink smoothies very much, so I'm trying to find a use for this metal straw. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, and I've been getting a few milkshakes around here. We got some pretty good local, like, 50-style mm. drive-in things. I think I need a piece of PVC to get some of those milkshakes. Like, <laughs> they are rock hard. <laughs> those are huge clear straws too though so maybe they wouldn't have the structural integrity to take a core <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs> okay so okay. Yeah. permeability all right um what else do you think we could do with our inexpensive box of geo goodies what else do we have that we want to talk about hmm i'm in, i'm interested in gamma but i don't think it's economically doable yeah i don't think so either i was going to ask you how how economically undoable it is <laughs> i mean i'm sure somebody say well you, know, you can get a tube and high voltage supply and i'm going to put a full stop to you at high voltage supply because i'm required to by my insurance company <laughs> that is absolutely correct <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um density yeah. again that's a a scale and a beaker kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. See, but that's good. You got the scale and beaker that you get to use for more than one thing. Okay, yeah. So, mm-hmm. scale and beaker. I mean... Uh, we're going to cross off gamma. So, dielectric, hardness, strike dip, grain size, turbidity, water velocity, temperature. Now, when you're doing something in a... I mean, there's all kinds of stream gauges, and those seem like relatively inexpensive setups, too. Right? You got, like, a cube, and you got to measure stuff going through the cube. Yeah, and, you know, I kind of feel like the hydrology side is totally neglected by everybody except hydrologists, which you're not getting an undergrad degree in hydrology, probably. No, no, probably not. But I will tell you that, I mean, if anyone has looked at academic jobs in the last five to seven years, if you're a geohydrologist or a hydrogeologist, you can write your own ticket, man. There are so many jobs for that right now. Oh, you can in the private industry, too. Yeah, exactly. So Water is a big thing, and it's just going to get bigger just gonna get bigger as it gets smaller <laughs> right so uh yeah that's the way to go and you could do all kinds of fun stuff with like little fans and everything that you can hang inside your cube right yeah like i think measuring Turbines, water velocity yeah because yeah. that's really like a i wonder if it would work so we did a project for someone uh well actually we, we had her on the show so i can talk about it uh uh, Dr. Allison Nugent, 
mm-hmm. uh, where we use computer fans to measure wind velocity from kites. Right. And okay. I don't know. Awesome. I'd have to look and see how difficult it would be to make something like that work underwater, but that was dirt cheap. That is... I mean, it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard. I mean, we might have to build a semi-custom sensor to make it waterproof, but if we're going to build a bunch of them, because hopefully all of you are going to do this. <laughs> whenever we. But this, I mean, this is really cool, though. I like this. This is like, if you made it inexpensive enough, I mean, this is a hydrology lab. This is one of the things that if you do, it makes people excited about science because they'll remember doing this so you know the english major that's taking your geology class will remember going out to the stream you know down by the duck pond and doing this experiment yeah so what about like what about turbidity so would this have to do with trying to think if you this would be some sort of visual thing right like measuring the clearness of the water so the expensive way is with a laser but well normally you have a little card right that you lower down right um but what about like you have an led pointing at a photo sensor right yeah exactly yes yeah that's what i think again it's not super now there's a whole other aspect to every single one of these that is you get to learn about calibration. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I wonder how we could, I wonder how they calibrate turbidity. This, this is a quantity I never deal with, but I'm sure there has to be something like, you know, you take a teaspoon of something that clouds the water, flour, like maybe we could do that. You know, you take, okay, you take a teaspoon of flour and you stir it into a half a cup of water and you measure it. And then you put another half teaspoon in and you stir it up and you measure. And this is how you calibrate your turbidity instrument. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you go measure a stream. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, the uh, turbidity is measured in that weird thing. What is it? Oh, hold on. It's some weird name. Nephilometric turbidity units. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. But it's just the cloudiness of the water. So... Yeah, see, there's a lot that you could do, I feel like, with this, because you can have it calibrated and measure the turbidity, or creating the calibration for the measurement is in its own, is its own experiment, right? Right. Yeah. I and like it doesn't this. have to be calibrated to, you know, real units. It can be calibrated you, to flower water turbidity units. But I mean, is nephilometric turbidity units a real thing? Like, no, it's all made up, so you just make it up based on what you got in front of you. <laughs> It's all based on the length of some guy's thumb or, <laughs> you know, something. Exactly. It's like, this all right. is my drinking water. This is my hose water. Here's my turbidity assessment. Yep. <laughs> Both are delicious. <laughs> so <laughs> the one that I'm kind of excited about, but one, I don't think it's very, I don't know if it would be economical. And I don't know if... I don't know if people would find it as interesting because it's not a, I'm going to go, I'm going to go measure the turbidity of a stream. Like that's something you go do right now and you get the data. And yeah, maybe you go back three or four days and see how it changes. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Geothermal gradients. Oh. This seems like, like a yearly measurement. <laughs> that's the problem is I think it would have to be maybe you could get away with weeks. Well, this could be like like the resistivity. You go take it in a bunch of different locations. Yeah, you could do that. Um, I mean, I guess you might have to get pretty far away to get anything different. Like kilometers. It's not like you could just... Yeah, I'm afraid that it probably me. wouldn't... Because you need to go down... To get below the seasonal boundary, you know, foot plus, depending on where in the country here, you yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe that one's not so doable in this kit. Mm-hmm. Um. Grain size, you know, there's lots of laser scattering tools and all that, but those are expensive. Yeah, grain size analysis is hard. Um, In reality. Strike strike and dip, there's lots of ways to do it. But you could do sieves, too. Oh, ooh. Hmm, yeah. And so then you just got a little column of tiny meshes and... And you already have a scale. Yeah, so there's your grain size analysis. Okay. Um, strike and dip, you could potentially do with the accelerometer on your geomagic board mm-hmm. that you phone. hopefully can use for your velocity data. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Or your phone. Yep. You can just do it on your phone. It's getting pretty good. As long yeah. as you've calibrated your phone. How long ago did I say something about, we're going to be doing this on our phone and everybody laughed. <laughs> <sighs> Look, it sucked for a while. <laughs> We had someone um, interview several, well, four years ago, and he said he hadn't taken a strike and dip with a Brunton in ages. And I think that didn't set well with some people. <laughs> I could see that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, but it is pretty good now. I do them both. I would never just use the phone, but I mean, there's lots of field camps. Doug Walker in Kansas, I mean, they use their iPads for all their strike and dips. Yeah. So, there you go. Um, the only thing that leaves that we haven't talked about is dielectric constant. <sighs> okay. And I cannot think of a way to do a GPR inexpensively. <laughs> no. No. I mean, you got to just... Just trying to think if you just sort of fake it how can you fake it i don't know if you can (laughs) yeah nothing comes to mind like i can see some rf magic that could be played but i don't think it could be played cheaply yeah Um, and not enough to i don't know approximate what you could get with a gpr so really on our geomagic board Here's what I think we need on our geomagic board. Okay. I think we need an input for a geophone or geophones. Um, Let's see. I think we need a a load cell input so you could have a scale. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You need your resistivity stuff. Outputs and inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
You could build a timer into it for doing your perm lab, but I think also putting a cheap stopwatch in would be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the color sensor. Uh, a magnetometer. And an accelerometer. Uh, the LED slash photo sensor. And a velocity sensor input. That seems doable. So I'm working on this acronym. Okay. What do you got? <laughs> I'm like, I'm measuring available geophysics constants, but geophysics is spelled with a J and constants is spelled with a K. <laughs> well, we could use the actual G. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so, so it was measuring what? An available geophysics constants. <laughs> I don't like it because I know they're not constants, but it's still kind of funny. <laughs> okay, and I so, like it spelled with a J. I think it's it's like GIFs. <laughs> let's see. Measuring accurate geophysics with an IC or an IK now. I was trying to think of how you can say like with junk or... <laughs> <laughs> oh man i like that <laughs> huh this one this one we may have to revisit we'll revisit this i'm gonna work on it <laughs> yeah okay so we'll come back to that i'd be super interested in hearing what you have to say too if you've got any input uh and you're out there screaming at your radio <laughs> <laughs> that we're missing something blatantly obvious as you do every week uh, yeah, absolutely. I'd be really interested to hear what your thoughts are on this because I certainly don't think this would be a static thing, especially if there are hackathons. You know, probably every hackathon, somebody would come up with an idea for another potential project. I know. Um, I, I like the thought of like tackling a question too with it. So like, you know, if you have a one that's specifically aimed at, we've got this stream, what can we do? You know, or this is our, these are our conditions what can we build for this condition? You know what I mean? Like what kind of things can we measure in this particular environment? So actually that, that reminded me that um, a friend of mine, Pete Marchetto has done a stream stage gauge with uh, a inexpensive distance sensor and a ping pong ball on a piece of PVC pipe. Yes. I love it. Yeah. We measured longshore drift, longshore drift with oranges and tape measures and stopwatches. So you know. <laughs> oh, okay. Go, go on. I have to hear the rest of this. <laughs> oh no! So you just throw an orange as far out as you can, and someone stands like where you threw it, and then you sit there and time how long it takes to make it back to shore, and then you measure that distance between you and the original partner who's standing where you where you did it, and you can do hmm. your longshore drift calculations. I mean, not everybody mm -hmm. has a coastline, but for those that do, that's an exactly. interesting target of opportunity. Right. Super easy. Hmm. I mean, you're just staring out of the water anyway. You might as well throw an orange in it <laughs> or a tennis ball. But just in case you can't recover it, it's nicer to have the orange. Something's Yeah, something that will biodegrade. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, in a related topic, I mentioned machine learning earlier. 
And that means it's time for everybody's favorite segment of the show, which is rant and, no, no I mean, fun paper <laughs> Friday. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, yeah, this, this one's, I already feel my prickly, you're my, my pricklies coming up because it is a very ranty topic, right? So listener Daryl sent this in and uh, it's, with the email subject line, furious AI researcher creates a list of non-reproducible machine learning papers. <laughs> um, so in this blog post talking about this, this is very interesting to me because I would have assumed that in, if you were to go to one of these four machine learning conferences, I would have assumed that your code would be important in the presentation of your results but apparently that's not the case and you know i think it's probably because it would cut down on submissions a lot because people don't want to share it because it's proprietary special sauce that's going to make them a million dollars oh man so there's a really good rapier to that to that argument that we'll get to further on in here <laughs> um right. were, were you aware of this papers with code thing i was not but it's pretty interesting mm -hmm. okay so i guess somebody started is it a website or yeah website uh you know with papers that have um scientific papers published that has a whole bunch of stuff in it that you can implement yourself so it says they have over like forty thousand machine learning research papers and so it's like these things are reproducible. Here, you can do it. <laughs> and we talk a lot about, well, we talk a lot about this in PaleoMag because PaleoMag is so work intensive on the front end before you ever know like what results you get. Um, and so <laughs> we talk about this journal of null results, right? And PMAG kind of, it has the magic database, which is trying to get people to, to do this because you spend a lot of time to try to figure out if something's going to work paleomagnetically or not. And it'd be nice if there was a place where you can say, look, we tried all this stuff. These are our results. They're crap. Don't do it again. It's basically null results, you know? And so <laughs> this was what borne this out was somebody couldn't reproduce these machine learning things and they got real mad and made this papers without code website. <laughs> and I love and this. It's a Reddit. Uh, someone created a Reddit account with the username contribution secure 14. <laughs> and yes, they, they made this papers without code. It's so awesome because you can say, well, and said they did this after a, just super frustrating a week implementing a paper as a baseline and they couldn't reproduce the results in the paper. So it was an invalid baseline. Yeah. And I mean, a week, that's a long time. And I'm sure some other people have spent more time than that trying to do this. And that's not what science should be about, right? I mean, it winds up being what it's about is people hoarding their stuff so they'll be famous but really you should be sharing your stuff so you can learn things. <laughs> so you can be famous by more than the one person that you told your results to. Yes, correct. Um, and I mean, so this 
angry subreddit, but also this paper's without code. You know, they try to contact the authors to give them a chance to release their code or, like, help people along who are having problems reproducing their results. Um, and it's not until they don't get a response from the authors after a certain amount of time that they put it up there and lambast them publicly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're trying to do it the right way. And I get proprietary stuff, but also, like, yeah. It's the whole open science argument, right? Like, are we trying to help each other or just scoop each other? If it's other? so proprietary, don't publish. Right. That Yeah, that was the rapier that I loved in here. <laughs> was that exact thing. Then why are you telling anybody about it at all? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. That was fantastic. I think that sentence should be screamed out to lots and lots and lots of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, if it's so amazing and you're going to make millions of dollars off of it, why are you writing a paper? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And obviously, Contribution Secure 14 is definitely an academic uh, because he says, you know, it'd be really nice if, you know, there's a lot of pressure to publish at the expense of academic depth and reproducibility, and there are not many checks and balances to prevent this behavior. And people might say, well, there's peer review, but... It, <laughs> We all have so much so to do. Broken. Yeah, exactly. And it's like peer reviews, I don't know. Unless somebody's really out to get you. Like, I feel like those are the only in-depth peer reviews that get done. Is like somebody that's trying to eviscerate you anyway. Right? Or that's going to no matter what you say. Right. Yes, correct. Correct. And so that's not really a, a working check and balance, just like you said. Um and it says, uh, Contribution Secure 14 says that the only way this will change is that the current and future generation of machine learning researchers prioritize quality over quantity in their own research. And it's like, I wish we would do that too, but we don't. I was thinking about this, like one year you might have a great year and get a bunch of stuff published. And then instead of the next year being like, hey, that was good. I'm glad you're spending time to make sure that was all really great and put together. The next year it's like, okay, what's next? <laughs> Right. So, yeah, this is too bad. This is not just a machine learning problem. No, it is a science problem. And if mm-hmm. <laughs> the problem with a lot of what we do, though, is like you can't have the uh, PMAG without data website because how many people have a magnetometer and can go, hey, I can't reproduce that? <laughs> Or have the resources to go wherever you did your stuff and drill it and say, hmm, I can't get that data. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So this doesn't necessarily work for our fields, but the idea is solid. Right, exactly. And I will say that there are definitely lots of studies that I have started that can't be finished. And maybe someone else out there, I can't tell you how many times, and you've probably been with me a couple of these times, that you go out to the field to sample something and you find some holes already drilled there. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, are these PMAG holes? Did this just not work? I didn't find this in the literature. Is it just somewhere where I didn't find it? You know, and then that wheel starts turning, whereas maybe if you had one of these databases, it's like, oh, yeah, so-and-so tried it. I know that's, you know, that's a place with a magnetometer, a reputable lab. Okay, they said this didn't work, so I won't waste the enormous amount of time that it takes 
to discover the remnant magnetization in a rock. Or I also know that you have data that, you know, you started on a project and just weren't able to finish it for one reason or another. And now right. somebody else, if they want to do that, is going to have to go do it all again. Right. And, you know, we yeah. all have too few weeks of our life <laughs> to redo work that somebody else has already done. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I don't, like I said, we have, there is a database that exists for PMAG data, but I don't know what the percentage of paleomagnetists are that are using it. But that would be really nice if the null research section was just as important. So, Right. Yeah, this is, a, this is an interesting idea. I wonder how many people are, are using this or are really worked up about this. I hope a lot of people, yeah. they need to be. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, if you've got your own idea for what should be in our geophysics geomagic box, <laughs> or you would like to submit your own reproducible or non-reproducible machine learning study for peer review, Shannon, how can they do that? Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. Uh, you can find us in the Slack chat room. <laughs> We're on the don't panic channel of the software underground you can find us on twitter i am at shannon doolin john is at geo underscore lehman together we are at don't panic geo and if you would like to fund our proprietary <laughs> uh, spinning windmills you can do so patreon.com slash don't panic geo even though they're still trying to come up with a way to measure our density every time <laughs> we say it until next week remember don't panic it's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.